Well, good morning, OCC. How are we doing? Great, awesome. My name is Gunnar Mock. I am a member here along with my wife, Mackenzie, and my son, Beckett. I think he just got taken off. So, um, But I know we don't have a ton of time. Craig warned me. No, I'll get shut off, I think, actually, after 35 minutes. So uh, I know John's got me on a timer. So I'm just going to hop right into it. We've been walking through the book of James, and honestly, I couldn't be more excited. I've had multiple conversations with Craig, and when we read through books of the Bible, I get really excited, especially as a congregation. Uh, We see that the Bible will actually set the tone for what we're talking about. And no matter how uncomfortable or difficult something is, we have to address it because we're walking through it. How can you skip over it? It's right there in the Bible. This may be the case today, as the second chapter of James contains some pretty confusing and conflicting passages. I feel that my only bit of advice as we begin to walk through these passages is to, well, prepare yourself. They're not easy things to read, and if we're not careful, we may actually ignore them altogether and fail to see how something that was written nearly 2,000 years ago still applies today. So in this, we see that the Bible is not only timely, but it's also timeless. So I ask that you guys open your Bibles. If you have uh, your Bible app, we can also use that. But there is something about having a physical Bible in your hand and opening that up. We'll also have the words on the screen for those that don't have that. So we're going to be at James 2, 14 through 26. It's kind of like last week with Craig. If we went through the entire chapter, I'd need, I'd need two hours, like easily. So we, we don't have that. So we're just going to hop right in. James 2, 14 through 26. Faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from works, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith Alone, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A few months ago, uh, probably about three months ago now, a little bit over three months, uh, my wife and I were actually driving to the emergency room driving to Mayo Hospital in La Crosse. I have something called Crohn's disease, 
and it's an autoimmune disorder. And it actually, so my body attacks itself, which is awesome, and it specifically <laughs> attacks yeah, my intestine or my ileum. Uh, I haven't had a ton of issues in the past. I was actually diagnosed in 2012 when I was a freshman in college. At that time, I drove myself to the hospital. Um, but it wasn't all that bad. I, but this time, I knew it was different. I couldn't sleep. I was in a ton of pain. And actually ended up throwing up from some medicine I took. I couldn't keep anything down. I was scared. Um, but I was heading to the hospital. I couldn't even talk to Mackenzie. I was hurting so bad. My brain had this crazy fog, and, and I was oblivious to anything else going on. Talk to her about it. I, I couldn't respond, couldn't say anything. I just wanted to get taken care of. And we see that sometimes we're like this in life. We walk around with this fog in our brain, unaware of anything that's going on around us, unaware even or numb to what Christ wants us from us in our life. And we need something to lift that fog. For me, it was going to the hospital. And, James, and, what, and what we're seeing here is that James is trying to do that with harsh words, just like we read. And within these verses, again, I want to hone in on just a couple of them. So we're going to go back to James 2, 17 through 20. It says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So after reading that, a lot of you probably resonate with this thought process, specifically husbands and fathers in the room. It goes something like this. We'd rather think about getting house projects done than actually doing the house project. Yeah? We would rather think about making dinner than actually making dinner. And for all of us, at times, we'd rather think about helping those less fortunate than ourselves than actually helping them. In these passages, James holds up a mirror for all of us, and he says, even demons have faith just like that. Even demons think like that. And that's harsh. But what does this look like specifically? Some of you are, may already know, kind of an inkling. It's when you show up to worship gatherings once a week, you put your mask on, you profess faith in Christ with your mouth, you look the part, you do all the right things, but then, throughout the week, we look completely different. Our, our life looks nothing like what Christ has commanded us to do. And James is saying here that empty intellectual assent with no real devotion to Christ is just like the demons. It's not either faith or works, it's faith and works. They don't exist apart from each other. Otherwise, as James puts it, faith without good deeds is useless. It's dead. It doesn't save. There is no option for the Christian to have one or the other. Because of all this, we see works as a necessary evidence of salvation, not the means. I'll read that one more time. We see works as a necessary evidence of salvation, not the means. And I'm thinking, 
as I kind of read some of these things, as I kind of walk through this with you guys, I'm thinking that there's a common question being asked in all your heads right now. And it may go something along these lines. Since it's possible to claim to have faith, but not actually have it, how do you know if someone has faith that saves? Well, James says to look for the fruit. Jesus says the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount. If we go back to Matthew 7, 16 through 20, Jesus says these words. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are the grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And fruit in our lives is evidence of faith in our hearts. One more time. Fruit in our lives is evidence of faith in our hearts. If there is no fruit, there's no faith. And James never speaks of deeds we do in order to earn favor before God. He always speaks of deeds as fruit produced by faith. These deeds are produced by faith. Moving along, we can go right into the next section of scripture that kind of reflects back on that but expounds even further. This is James 2:21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So this section of scripture, if we're not really careful here, the wheels can start to really fall off the wagon. Okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go bad. We can start to read these passages out of their context, where we're trying to get at, and go down a path we don't want to. So I'm going to take some time explaining the confusion that may be seen here. But first, I want to remind us that the foundation for any discussion surrounding works in James is the unmerited grace. Unmerited grace granted to us through God's Son, Jesus Christ. God has given you and me new life based on our works, based not on our works, but on his grace. I scare you, Craig? <laughs> We've read this before in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see the same thing in the book of Romans, actually. Specifically, chapter 3, verse 28. It says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. And when we place Romans 3.28 next to James 2.24, we see why I say all this is pretty difficult. Romans 3.28 again says, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. 
And James 2.24 says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And I personally have had struggle between these two passages. I've had discussion with, with other members here on the topic of works, faith, the interplay between them, how that works with our salvation. And it's a pretty difficult topic. And we see right here why. But I hope to shed a little bit of light on the subject as we go forward. So which is it? We know that the Bible is inerrant. It's without error. It does not contradict itself. We would definitely hold to that. Especially in this situation. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the author of Romans, right? Author of Ephesians, author of Galatians. Two-thirds of the New Testament, in fact. And James, well, the author of James... They're preaching the exact same gospel here. We have to remember that context is important. And James and Paul are actually writing to two different churches. Paul was fighting against the idea that we could earn our salvation with our works. And James was fighting against the idea that we can simply believe intellectually who Jesus is. That we can just assent with our mouths who Jesus is and we're good to go. So they're fighting two different things. And going a little further, we see that the word for actions, deeds, works in the New Testament is the word ergon in the Greek. We see that this word is sometimes referred to in a positive way and then also a negative way in the New Testament. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, again, is primarily in Romans and Galatians, speaks of works fueled by the flesh, which do not honor God. And this is believing that our works can save us and earn favor with God. And James, on the flip side of that, refers to works, deeds, and actions 15 times, and every single time he uses it as a positive. He is speaking about works that are the fruit of faith, which bring glory to God. And these works that James is talking about are driven by the love and mercy of God. So both Paul and James see faith and works working together. It's not one or the other with either of them. And Paul even says this in Galatians 5, 6. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So according to both James and Paul, genuine faith Genuine faith creates works. But all this kind of brings us to Abraham. What does he have to do with anything? Why is he even in there? Paul talks about him in Romans, and James talks about him here. Specifically, James quotes Genesis 15 in verse 23, just like we read. And I, I think it would be helpful to go back to these passages to help answer these questions. And we can go back to Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Um, if you guys want to open to that real quick, you totally can. All the way back to the front of the Bible. Or it's on the screen. Or go through it to your phone. Genesis 15, 1 through 6 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, 
and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God gave Abraham, he was Abram at that point, his promise. And in turn, Abraham believed in God. And Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. God credited to him as righteousness. Then in Genesis 22, hopping just a little bit farther, and some may know this story, especially if you're raised up in the church, Abraham is tasked with sacrificing his only son Isaac up on the mountain. And then, just as he's about to drive the knife, we read this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And scholars tell us that as many as 30 years passed between Genesis 15 and 22. And we saw earlier that Abraham first believed in Genesis 15. He first believed then. But we see that Abraham's faith resulted in works of obedience when God called him to sacrifice his son. In this way, as James says, genuine faith creates works. And in turn, because of that, works complete our faith. Now, we, we are not Abraham. Of course, we should not insert ourselves into a text like this. We would never do that. But we can see here that there's application for our lives. A specific area we can actually see this is in the commandments that God gives us for our lives, just as God was, or Abraham was commanded by God. One of these is actually baptism. From James' teaching, if we separate faith from any command, such as baptism, it becomes a legalistic work that does not save. Craig said this before, did an entire sermon on it. The waters of baptism aren't the thing that saves. It's not, not the water itself, okay? But it is a command, and we can't separate those things. We can't separate our faith from our works. It's the same, I would say, with taking communion. You know that communion is a common union. It's a time where we celebrate common union with Christ at the Lord's Supper. But outside of faith, you know what communion becomes? A really bad snack. It stinks. You, you take a little bit of, you take this tiny cracker and a little shot of grape juice. It's not, it's not that good. You're lying to yourself if you say otherwise. But that's the point. Those, it's not a legal requirement, but they're acts of faith. Without faith, it, it's nothing. Zero. And I think that should be convicting for some of us. And maybe there's a ministry God is asking you to serve in. 
but you don't feel adequate. Let us see the example that Abraham sets up for us and let our works become a natural overflow from our faith gifted to us by God. So to start to wrap it up, to start to land the plane from where we've been going, our first main point, our application point, is that Christ's sacrifice is the fuel for our good works. And these application points aren't fancy or anything like that, but they're true. It's the fuel for our good works. A lot of James' teachings reflect on what Christ taught as well. Kind of hit, that, hit on that earlier. And we specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, if I could say to pair any other writing with James, a lot of it would probably be Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You'll, you'll start to pick things apart. James reflects what Christ taught in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good works aren't to glorify ourselves but they glorify the one who set us free, saved us from eternal separation from him. As we see with Paul, he warns us that our works, apart from God, are dead. We can't attribute any of these things to ourselves. We see this all over the New Testament as well. In Deuteronomy 9, the Israelites are about to enter their promised land. Moses is retelling the law to them, preparing them. To enter Canaan. Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6 attributes God saving them and giving them the land they are about to enter, not because of how good they are, but because of God's grace. Just like us. 9, 4 through 6 says this After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, The Lord has given us this land because we are such a good people. No. It is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord, your God, will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness. And to fulfill the oath, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you must recognize that the Lord, your God, is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Sound familiar? Yeah, weird. Weird how that works. It's easy to fall into the idea that we have to work to earn God's favor, that we have to do something. But we earn the favor of God when we encounter this on a daily basis at work and in life. And this is the good news of the Bible. God grants his mercy and grace, not because of the things we do, but because of how amazing he is. My second point, again, not fancy, but the more you obey God, the more your faith grows. Practically speaking, David Platt says this in three ways. Interestingly enough, these are three expectations we have for our members here at OCC. The first one of this is, 
coming to corporate worship, exactly what you're doing now. Hebrews 10.25 gives us this direct command to gather together. Our culture may tell us to keep our faith to ourselves, but with the Holy Spirit in us, how could we want it any other way? The gospel always works itself out best in community. It's not just me, my Bible, and I. It's such an important piece to our spiritual maturity. But like with many other things, like we touched on earlier, we can put on this face, be fueled by the flesh, as Paul says, instead of by faith, as James says, and turn it into something we just go through the motions with. The second point is spending concentrated time in prayer and Bible study. So again, the point prior doesn't automatically negate your personal time with God. It's not at all what I'm saying. We still need to spend time with him alone. That's the majority of our time outside of the hour and a half we have here today. Jesus did that many times. He went off to be alone, to be with his father. And I, can th- I think I can hear the answers already. I've heard them before. I'm, I'm not a good reader. Stinky reading. Got a D in third grade or something like that. <laughs> I don't have great comprehension skills. I, can't, I just can't understand it. And I will tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie the devil is telling you, without a doubt. You have the Holy Spirit. And that, he's going to teach you. He's going to illumine the word for you. Again, not because of you, but because of what's within you. The Holy Spirit. Guys, don't buy, don't buy into that lie. Don't let the devil just shh you back to sleep. Don't let him lull you back to sleep or back into that fog you were once in. Believe that your supreme delight is found in God. Use your quiet time to produce fruit, not fleshly works. And this step cannot be overlooked if we are to grow in our faith with God. This last one, probably the most convicting one for me, and that is to care for the poor and have acts for those less fortunate than us. Than us. And I wish we had more time again to, to, to flesh this part out, but, and James touches on this so much, 2, 15 through 17 says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We see that James does not give the option to care for the poor. It's not an option. Like we said earlier, we can't separate faith from works. It is something we are required to do. It's a requirement. And to give generously to out of the outflow of our faith. God cares for the poor. It's important to him. It should be important to us. I used to say to myself, it's just not my thing. It's not my thing, man. Like, it's not what I do. I, I kind of study the word, I teach it, preach it sometimes, lead studies, things like that's what I'm good at. I used to just say, I remember having a conversation with Craig and saying, it's not my thing, man. And reading this, even if it isn't your thing, it's a command. To wrap this all up, without a growing faith, we can fall into a cycle of religion that doesn't save anybody. As a church father, Martin Luther once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, 
and suffers nothing is worth nothing. James would agree with that statement. 